0: Dear product-led family, we are excited to welcome Elena Verna, Interim Head of Growth at Amplitude, to the podcast. Elena is a well-known legend in growth communities. She has co-created some of the most successful growth stories in the last decade, including Miro, MongoDB, Thurby Monkey, and helped dozens of companies as an advisor, Interim CMO, and Head of Growth. If you're not following her on LinkedIn yet, definitely start because her posts are just these incredible knowledge bombs that you should totally follow. Without further ado, let's welcome Elena Verna to the Product Led podcast to learn some of her unique perspectives and insights on how to apply the Product Led framework to the career broke. So, first of all, Elena, we're so
1: excited to have you here. How's life? Thank you so much for having me. Life is great. I feel like I'm living the dream. So I'm very happy to be here and talk about super awesome topics that you put together. All
0: righty. So the first question is totally stereotypical. And we are just like interested in what led you to where you are now. What inspired you towards becoming this product led growth persona legend that we know of now?
1: So let's start by saying that I did not think that I will be here if you asked me this question five years ago of where I want to be. This has been a lot of trial and error of where I can apply my superpowers, where is the topics that are interesting, where I can feel like I can add value and impact to the industry and to companies. So this has not been It's been scientifically discovered as a path for me, but I cannot say that it has been always my end goal. Gotcha. But maybe
0: just like in terms of your career, so you're working at SurveyMonkey for a very long time and just like advising throughout the Silicon Valley giants. What was this moment
1: that make you think,
0: this is it, this is it for me?
1: It's not a moment, it's moments. So I started my career in analytics. I've always loved data and data is something that came easy to me, and I really enjoyed working with it. So data has been my superpower from the beginning and I've started my career and I grew up to leadership level in data, focusing on how to uncover strategic insights for the businesses to act upon and how to be data-driven as a culture inside the company. And I loved it. But then at certain point, I wanted to do more because my North Star in my professional career has always been drive an impact, make an impact on the customers, on the industry, on the company. So my question of making an impact has always driven me to get into leadership as fast as possible. I had very aggressive goals for myself of being at the VP level well before I was 30, uh, graduating after uh, my college at 22. And I was able to achieve it because I was managing up. I was looking for inflection points in my career. And I was making sure that I am pacing as fast as possible in exponential growth curve to get to my goal. One of the things that I realize now, looking back at my career and some of the decisions that I've made, is that we as humans actually grow linearly. We're at the point A right now. We do have a point B as a goal for us, and that's a linear line that we are going up against. However, how do you turn that linear line into exponential curve? Well, you do that by changing the slope of the line. So you find an inflection point on the line that can accelerate your growth and changing the slope into becoming an exponential curve. Well, those slopes, we always think about them being as inflection points having to be a new job. You take a new job, and that's what's going to accelerate your trajectory. I very early on understood, thankfully, to my fantastic mentors and sponsors that I had through my career, that one of the biggest inflection points that you can have is not by having a new job, but by having a progression and growth with an existing company. So at SurveyMonkey, I spent there almost seven and a half years, and it has been the most educational and accelerating and foundational years of my career. And during those seven years, did I still interview for other companies? Absolutely. Every two years, I would have a midlife crisis career and I would get an offer from another company and try to quit SurveyMonkey. And every two years, my manager and my mentor would walk me off the cliff and straighten me back up in terms of how do I actually get to my desired destination in my career at this company versus taking a risk on something else. So what I found out is that inflection in those linear growth paths are actually mostly driven by increased scope of work, new mentor or sponsor, new manager new department that you're working with, maybe even the new connection. And those are the most predictable and sustainable inflection points to create. Because when we take a new job, it's a huge risk. And it's a bigger risk for you as a person versus a company. Because for you, it defines you for that next year or two years or three years that you're gonna be working there. Versus if it's a company and if it's a failure, They just hire somebody else. They don't even skip a beat. So you as an employee have to be very careful about taking new roles versus continuously getting traction out of the existing one until the point of diminishing returns. Of course, I'm not saying to stay past the life cycle of the role that is going to be there, but I stayed at SurveyMonkey for seven and a half years. It was an amazing journey. I give so much credit to that company and the management team and the people around me that helped me grow. Afterwards, I went into another company. I only stayed there for about two years. I actually really quickly understood that I don't know how to interview correctly, especially on the leadership level, which is what pushed me into advising originally. I wanted to do advising as a try-before-you-buy model, so lower my friction of acquisition, get a little bit more into light engagement, uh, freemium-style conversation with a company that then would help me understand my probability of being successful in the business. But my other inflection point in my career is that I started enjoying advising too much. And I started pressure testing my hypothesis that full-time roles is the right monetization use case for myself. And really quickly, I realized that It may be not. And I can actually create very successful career by doing advising. The only piece that was missing for me in advising is the level of accountability that you have when you're actually leading the team. I like to get my hands dirty. I like that crushing weight of accountability on my shoulders to live and breathe the problem. And advising helped me create a ton of frameworks of how to solve the problems, but I couldn't necessarily pressure test them because an advisor, I'm a coach. I'm not doing anything in the company myself. I'm influencing somebody and educating them on how to do it. So I started doing interim level positions as a means of really prototyping some of the frameworks that I create through advising and to get that fix of accountability, which is I'm, as an operator at heart, continue craving. And that has been a really nice balance for me of uh, between doing a lot of pattern matching and framework creation through advising relationships and then interim level engagements to really sink in and to prototype what I'm thinking is to happen in real life, which creates even more content and frameworks for me. I love you for
0: saying that because you're just like genuinely acknowledge how important it is to keep in touch with reality So not as if we would be growth advisors who did something like 10 years ago and when we would still be sending those war stories or something like that. Uh, You really like to keep on track. So if we could kind of reverse engineer what you were saying right now, if we could just like replicate, like what were the the fundamentals of your success? What would you say to our listeners? Like, how can we do it? How can they replicate you, Elena Varna?
1: So you shouldn't try to replicate me. You should there. try to replicate the framework of how to grow your career. And the growth model for your career is shockingly similar to a growth model that you're probably trying to create for your company. So we don't need to reinvent the wheel here. We just need to spin things and position them in the right way. So let's first start with use cases. Any growth model needs to understand what use cases are you actually optimizing against. There's multiple use cases that exist for careers, and you need to be very clear and honest of which one you are in. So a couple of the ones that I've noticed, one of them is prove-it-yourself use case. By prove-it-yourself use case, I'm trying to continuously drive more impact, and my titles are my grades for work well done. If I get a promotion, that means I've up leveled to the next level. I've proved myself and I'm able to operate on the bigger impact level. And by the way, I'm not talking about promotions necessarily on management. It can be principal level promotions as well, of deepening your expertise in any specific area. That's a prove it use case. Then I see a lot of use cases after you get to a desired level that people graduate to let's do it again use case. So I am not. A singular point of success. I'm a pattern and I'm going to do it all over again, but now starting at the much higher position at the new company, and I'm going to show that I can be successful again. I'm a pattern. I'm not a data point. That's the do it again use case. However, do it again use case can be repeated once for sure twice, third or fourth time, it starts feeling repetitive. That's where a lot of people start graduating to other use cases, social good use case. Now, if they're going to do it again, it has to be attached to some mission, something where they're changing the world. They're doing something for the good of humanity, but there is giving back aspect to it. Other people transition into a lifestyle use case where work has fulfilled its capacity. And now you're starting to prioritize other aspects of your life at the same time time to find your North star and your happiness. So depending on where you are, first of all, understand which use case you are in. Because being clear with it yourself, which means that by the time that you actually optimize for that use case, your growth model, which we'll talk about next, that you'll actually be happy. And the piece that I see most mistakenly done by employees is that they think their use case is defined by the market. So they look outwards in And they try to say what is market expects of me as opposed to looking inwards out and saying, this is what I love to do. And this is what will make me happy. So be very truthful with yourself about your use case. Love it. Love it. But before we go
0: into this growth model mode that you just like forecasted to this podcast, I would love and I would never forgive myself if I wouldn't ask these questions like you have Miro, you have Monkey, you have MongoDB, you have Amplitude, you have so many awesome companies. So the inevitable question, of course, is how do you select your
1: winners? Where do you find these fits what your next winners are? You select the winners by experiencing a lot of failures. Because unless you know what winning actually looks like, you cannot drive predictable and sustainable winning without losing. But I don't look at it as a loss or failure. I look at it as a very valuable learning. And every job and every experience, every interview, every advising agreement, some of them were fantastic. And I would try to understand why they were good. Some of them were failures for me, where it was too short, it was a bad fit, or I wasn't very impactful. And I learned from it every single time. So I have as many as much understanding as possible of how to pick a winner, but you cannot constantly pick winners. Maybe you'll get lucky one or two times. You have to accept that you will make failures that you need to translate into learnings to double down on your winning. So I look at it as I know certain companies are wrong stage for me. Some of them have the wrong culture. Some of them have wrong people involved that I just cannot collaborate with or that's not a really good fit for my for me building relationship with. Some of them are in the wrong industry. And I've had my fair share of those types of failures to know how to actually succeed and win. and I continue having them, by the way. So I'm not going to pretend that everything is a picture-perfect Instagram story, even though LinkedIn feels like a professional Instagram sometimes where you only see fantastic things that are happening to people. But there's definitely lots of learnings along the way that I very heavily emphasize for myself and I iterate upon. Right. Thank you for your honesty. Much appreciated. So you said like cultural
0: fit, maybe like not the type of people that uh, we would like to work with. But other than that, do you think that in these pivotal times, like when the recession is hitting floor apparently and whatever is going on, that there are maybe some industries that are safer or some business models that are more profound? Do you have any insights that might be applicable throughout the industries that our listeners of the podcast are in?
1: Yes. So first of all, if you are already in the position, one of the things that I constantly advocate against is going and interviewing for something else until you got everything you possibly could out of your current role. And right now it's the time to double down into it. There's lots of uh, strategy pivots that are happening. Uh, There's lots of new tactics, uh, product-led growth model tactics that are being applied to businesses to improve cost of revenue and, and create more efficiencies in the business. Be part of that story. If you are able to actually show through your experience how you not only withstood this recession, but how you helped company pivot this is something gonna be so valuable for your ability to unlock new opportunities along the way. So I would say instead of having grass is greener on the other side syndrome, and constantly thinking of whether I need to be at more stable company with better funding, Try to see if you can be part of the story of your company and find that inflection point in your career in your company. And as I said, take on your responsibility. Do things before you actually get recognized for it. Sometimes you just need to push that work forward and be the inflection point for your business. Remember, they hired you not for you to perform vanity metrics of answering Slack messages and answering emails. They've hired you for your superpowers and unique value prop that you bring to that position into the company. Make sure that you actually exercising that value metric on daily, weekly, at most basis to deliver a continuous value and to, for you to learn more. So if you're in a position though to look for another job, sometimes you just don't have a lot of choices. So you have to take whatever is available to you. So I wouldn't say be picky per se, especially in the downturn of economy. Just do know that whichever position that you pick, whether it's right or wrong, it actually does not matter. What matters is for you to extract learnings out of it. And whichever company that you're gonna go with, even if it's not your preferred choice per se, there's so many learnings to be had in every single business. And that's what you should be optimizing on right now. Fantastic. So take the best out
0: of what is, whatever is going on in your environment, absolutely pragmatic and the right mindset to be in right now. And right now to the much-anticipated how do you implement it, growth principles to your career? Like, how do you apply growth to your growth career? That's the question, Elena.
1: <laughs> so we've talked about use cases. That's awesome. awesome. And what are the next three questions for growth? How do you acquire? How do you retain? And how do you monetize? So how do you acquire? How do you acquire may be in respect to your brand awareness. So how do you continuously drive more acquisition towards you? I guarantee you, you probably... Some of you already having recruiters reach out to you, and that's fantastic. That's an inbound. How do you create outbound or increased inbound into your career? Because I always try to understand of how can I unlock more opportunities for myself? Because I want to have more choices. I want to have a lot of to pick from so I can actually have an ability to pick the best uh, suited one for myself. I start with brand awareness. As you mentioned, I already post a lot on LinkedIn. I do that to unlock insights and drive brand awareness of what I know. I unlock every knowledge piece that I have. I don't gate my content. You don't have to engage with me to know my frameworks, to know what I think about your business or that I think about certain model. I try to make it out there. Think about creating more of a freemium model for yourself. In other words, instead of going through the interview and be a pay-to-play product, which is your brain, because our brains are the products that we're selling at the end of the day, think about how you can ungate that knowledge. I started very early in my career uh, trying to engage with public speaking, which by the way, stresses me out as an introvert. It is not something that I love to do. But I see it as a very meaningful tactic to spread my knowledge to make the industry as a whole better and to make meaningful connections, which is my North Star metric for acquisition. of knowing the right people that I can ask questions and learn from. So go to your PR team in your company and say, what public engagements and public speaking opportunities can I have? Use that company of yours to actually start building your own brand. See if you can uh, engage in certain communities. If you can post any content yourself, my first LinkedIn post did not get more than five likes. Now I'm able to generate a thousand plus, but that was a long journey over five to 10 years that I started actually programmatically understanding what people are wanting to hear and how I should be phrasing it for it to be very quickly understood. So think about your brand awareness. Right now, your company defines it at 100%. Can you diversify away from it? Can you start building your own brand? And the sooner you invest into it, the better, because it's a compounding effect that is gonna take years to build up to actually be meaningful in your career. And maybe for your job, you don't need brand awareness, but still you want to have more and more opportunities in front of you so you can design your career in the best way possible. So think about is what is it that can help you unlock more opportunities in front of you, which is the acquisition part. Now on acquisition part, we need to move into activation and retention. This is where I believe interview process in the industry is extremely broken. We activate through interviews. And that's a broken activation because everybody on both sides says that everything is unicorns, butterflies, and rainbows. Nobody talks about hard truth and about the problems that exist both on candidate side, because nobody is here is perfect. And on company side, everybody lies to each other during the interview process on both sides, 99% of the time, just to optimize for the contract signing. And that's very unfortunate because I believe that we should be optimizing for retention. And to optimize for retention, you need to know whether you can help solve my problems and I can help solve yours but unfortunately that's not the way that we operate. This is why for the interviews for myself, I only do workshops now. This is something that I actually got introduced to at Miro and I really enjoyed that interview practice where after meeting with a couple of people, just to understand whether you're in the right place and talking to them about the right position, you go into a workshop with a company and you actually have a brainstorming session of how to solve one of the current problems. And some people think about it of I'm I'm getting all of my knowledge, and you're getting all of this information for free from me. I say exact opposite. You're actually getting down to the truth of whether this is the right match. And every single employee should try to push either on reverse interview, attend team meetings before you actually take the job, or go into the workshop with the team on something that they're solving with. De-risk your opportunity as much as possible of knowing your propensity to actually retain. So go as far past activation and hopefully in the first habitual loop and uh, well past aha moment as you possibly can with a company before you actually take the job. And then the last one is continuously building that core frequency of engagement. And remember, company does not hire you to answer emails. Company hires you to make an impact. So constantly think about your unique value add and your superpower and make sure that you're exercising it on daily, weekly basis. And if you're only able to see and do that on monthly, you're in a forgettable zone for the company. And when you enter forgettable zone for the company on the frequency of engagement, that's when you don't get new opportunities. You are potentially subject to not being a core pivotal point and pivotal employee for the company. And that's when all of the troubles start to begin. But it's very easy to get distracted by the vanity time that we spend on Slack, on email, just go on team meetings, on meetings. I don't know how many of you have calendars that are filled with meetings. Try to protect your time where you actually deliver value that you are learning from which moves us into monetization. And monetization is not something that you can experiment very easily with. Most of the time, our monetization models are full-time monetizations. However, my adjacent use case of advising actually started over 10 years ago. I closed my first contracting gig, and it was a contracting. It wasn't even consulting or advising when I was still a manager at SurveyMonkey many, 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 many years ago. And I helped that company do some cohort analysis. I pulled some data out of their database and did some, um, did some spaghetti retention graphs. And I started understanding whether that adjacent use case of monetization through consulting is something that is a valuable monetization model for me and Long and behold, now that's my only monetization use case. So it definitely evolved into something much bigger than it has. But I think that constantly seeing whether freelancing, whether you want to start your company or just the full-time role is uh, the right monetization model for you. I would pressure test that assumption, especially as you grow in your career
0: fantastic. I don't know how to comment on that. Like my first initiative thought would be that like interviews are like dating. So everybody can pretend to be normal for a couple of hours, but try to spend like two days with them, like a weekend break. Things get sour. Things cannot be so perfect anymore. (laughs) So love that idea about the monetization though, because I know from your work record that you are very, very, very committed to your role. Like, you know, we have like Elena from mirror period now we have Elena from amplitude period and like it seems at least like from the outside that once you're into it you are in it to win it so how do you make it happen how do you make those commitments how to like constantly deliver on your promises to make such a majestic trajectory in career of yours
1: so one of the biggest learnings that I've had, especially after going into advising, that the limiting factor, and this applies to anybody, it's just I realize it much later in my life, is your ability to context switch. If you attack every single problem as a single point that needs to be completely resolved from start to finish in some unique, authentic way, it's incredible. An- incredibly difficult to solve many problems at the same time. It's incredibly difficult to teach somebody and influence somebody to solve it in a certain way. And it's incredibly difficult to justify of why this is the right solution. So one of the biggest things that I focus on is creating frameworks to solve problems as opposed to coming up with pointed solutions. And Even though I've been doing that intuitively for a long time, I never truly realized it also until I started getting a lot heavier engaged with Reforge. Why is Reforge so awesome for me? It's because it helps me think about each problem in the framework perspective, helping me get to a solution really fast by bypassing all of the patterns and understanding how to actually solve it at scale and how the solution applied to different types of problems and it gets me to just the last 20% of coming up with the unique plan of how to actually execute. And it saves me 80% of the time of figuring out how to even attack this problem. So I'm a big proponent of frameworks. I think frameworks is the only way to scale yourself. That's the only way I scale having so many advisory clients, which on average, I have about seven to eight, even when I hold interim positions, because... I look at the problem and I immediately think, which framework can I apply to solve it? and Why is it the best framework? How far does it get me down into solution? And how much adjustment uh, do I actually need to make to come up with final results? And that's the main thing that I teach and coach every single person that I work with as well of minimize context switching it's so hard on our brains, it's taxing, it's exhausting, apply frameworks that are developed from patterns to come up with predictable and sustainable way for you to scale yourself. Absolutely fascinating.
0: Me in my European context, I call it mental models. So just like something guided to us, like to guide away how we think as if like whenever somebody says a word, we initially click and there is a model for it. I have it in mirrorboard, board, like we can totally do this. It's fine. But just like in terms of capacities and just like this generosity of yours, for the lack of other words, how do you come up with these models? I mean, how do you create them? What's the creative process behind them?
1: Reforge taught me how to come up with a lot of them because uh, when I was creating courses with them, that was a light bulb moment for me because I kept talking about examples from my experience of how I would solve certain problems. And on Reforged, the costly ask, well, give me another example, give me another example. And I'm like, well, this is one, this is second, this is third. And they would come up with me and say, well, you actually have a framework behind it, which to me was just an intuition But to them, when I repeated it as a pattern, they showed me that there is a framework. And that really shifted my view of trying to see the similarities in the problem solving and come up with the framework behind it, as opposed to focusing on specific details of the problem. So every single day that I work, and this is my value metric, by the way, to create frameworks out of the patterns, because that's what propels uh, me to be an effective advisor. That's what I think that we need to have better understanding and visibility of as a field because then we can grow faster, we can innovate faster as opposed to solving one specific issue at a time and sometimes getting it right, sometimes getting it wrong and focus on evolving the frameworks as opposed to coming up with pointed solutions. And don't get me wrong, sometimes pointed solutions are amazing and you may get lucky and you might succeed, but I'm optimizing towards creating predictable and sustainable growth for myself which is very much framework related. So I, on my free time, when I go running, when I go to my CrossFit gym, all I'm thinking about is what are those patterns? Because it feels like I'm doing the same thing over and over again. How can I pull up and create a diagram in Miro for it uh, and plug in the data, let's say from Amplitude in it, and then understand and share it with others and see if they react and they find it as valuable as I do.
0: As I listened to you, the way how I understood, it's a little bit of an evolution. So first you have mm-hmm. to understand the data, like what is going on. Then you have to have like legit use cases, right? So something that is worth implementing sure. and you have like a legitimate sample in order to test something. And once something is like starting to be repeating itself, you can like recognize it as a pattern and then you can like kind of evaluate to the frameworks, to this like highest stage of enlightenment that we were just talking about. Is that so? Or is it not a linear process?
1: No, absolutely. You summarized it beautifully. I would only say that I'm sometimes triggered to actually come up with a framework when I'm being asked the same question about how to solve something over and over again. And that to me is the biggest moment to say, it's time. Like I cannot continuously come up with a answer for this, I need to come up with a framework of how to solve it. So I look at myself repeating and then when I'm repeating myself, I need to step back and come up with something better explanation because I'm doing too much pointed solutioning, which is most likely has something very common in between all of the problems anyways.
0: Well, then another measurement of success that you and I, like we spent like decades in the industry already, So, whenever we start repeating ourselves, that means that we definitely have to publish something about this, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I have a rule of three. If I repeated my three times, it's going up on the LinkedIn or on the Reforge. It has to go somewhere. (laughs) Love it. Love it. But you know how it
0: resonates? Like, I won't be like name dropping or something like that. But I was at one of the European capitals, and the guy that I had a dinner with, he's a very well known head of growth at a company that we probably both know. And he just like screenshotted me like one of your models, one of your mental (laughs) models in Miro. She said, this is the best way how somebody ever presented growth. And just like the magnitude of it, like what made your brains viral is the question that I'm trying to address to you. So how is it resonating so beautifully throughout the industry? Because lady, you became... One hell of an influencer by now.
1: Well, I don't see myself as an influencer. Yeah, but but you are. Thank you for kind words. (laughs) (laughs) I think anybody can be an influencer. You just have to put yourself out there. Because the problems that you are solving today in your job, in your company, I guarantee you many, many other companies are facing the same issues. There's definitely an 80-20 rule where most of the work that we're doing will be applicable to 80% of the companies. The problem is that we're all afraid of actually publishing it. Even I have sometimes... Well, I shouldn't say sometimes, I all the time come up with a thought and I'm like, no, nobody's going to want to see it. Or I don't know if this is going to resonate. What if somebody's going to break it down and not like it? And I have that insecurity about myself and I push myself through it and say, no, let me put it out there. Let me actually get a reaction. Sometimes it will hit, sometimes it will miss. I have posts that I miss and that's okay. I still enjoyed at least going through the process of coming up with some of the patterns behind it. And it bettered me as a person, even if it was potentially too pointed or maybe not encompassing enough. But that fear of sharing, whether it's driven by competitive pressure, where you are afraid if your competitor knows what you're doing which I think is just a self-limiting factor to our entire industry as a whole. If we're that afraid to share common concepts and common frameworks on which we operate, or it's the insecurity that we have. And I have the biggest imposter syndrome out of anybody, but I continued pressure testing the hypothesis that what I'm thinking about is not relevant. And I was able to reject that as a hypothesis because I started getting a lot of engagements and really incredible conversations with people based on the material that I post. And that was the reward for me to post more. So I have this content loop that is working for me where I post something, I generate interest off of it, interesting conversations. I have a lot of advising contracts that come out of it that pushes me to post even more. So it's the loop that I continuously engage into, but you need to start somewhere. And most of us fail to get started or we start and we don't get expected massive engagement and we stop because of that. But if more of us posted, more of us shared our learnings, we would all be better off. Because then we can learn a lot faster from each other as opposed to going into these companies and trying to figure out things from scratch. The fact that we're in 2022 and we're still standing up some of these loops and paid marketing and viral loops from scratch is mind boggling because we, as a technology field specifically, are definitely not using technology to its advantage to propagate learnings. So, all I want to do is democratize some of those learnings. And if I can help at least one or two people, be better at their job to have more successful company. That's all I'm optimizing towards.
0: Well, it's not one or two; it's actually hundreds or thousands that are resonating with your content and just like your work with Reforge. I call it Reforge, so you call it Reforge. No, Reforge. Close enough. Uh, so <laughs> you have been like a program creator, a partner, and like in addition to being a mentor and advisor independently. I would just like to finish this conversation with grasping a couple of your insights. Where do you think the industry is moving forward? Maybe as an encouragement to our listeners, what are the relevant topics that are worth communicating about? What are your thoughts, Elena?
1: I have two trends that I'm seeing emerge very heavily. Trend number one, we as an industry, just as a space, we're moving towards being more effective for our users as opposed to just more efficient. The products that win, the products that displace competition, that get on this roaring hyper growth curve are the ones that make their consumers better versions of themselves whether it's in the consumer environment or whether it's in the business environment, that actually does not matter. But we're moving as a whole from just being a utility to efficiency to effectiveness. And I absolutely love it because that's actually where technology is making us better as humans, as opposed to just saving us time or saving us money, which are more of older concepts and how software first evolved um, into just replacing some of the old habits. The second trend that I see, and this is specifically in B2B, and that's because I really focus on B2B and I absolutely love that it's happening, is consumerization of B2B businesses. So what do I mean by that? We used to build these B2B products for these enterprise buyers that never use them and have a lot of utilization issues in the companies. And I love that B2B is now acting as a B2C. We build for employees, we build to make their life better and organizations just buy because we've proven to employees the value first. So I actually see as a trend that the concept of B2C versus B2B is starting to fall off and we just have products. And there might be a use case that is consumer use case for the product and the business use case for the product. And many of them are starting to act on both. Think of Notion, think of Miro. They all have consumer and business use cases, which is fantastic. Slack, whatever, yeah. Slack, exactly. But now we're starting to fall apart from B2C or B2B defines you. What defines you is your focus on the customer. And that product-led growth of proving effectiveness for that customer, and B two C and the B two B is just the use case for your business, as opposed to an umbrella that is all encompassing.
0: Right. So it's not about labeling. It's not about like it's about people to people business in a way, which was beautifully said, beautifully explained right now. But to end this on a really like positive note. So you seem like a very intelligent person to me, naturally so, but I guess that you also have a little bit of your own resources or special way of learning and like how to get these inputs for the systematization that you are building here. Would we end this pleasant conversation by entrusting our listeners a couple of ways how Elena Verna generates the knowledge, attracts the knowledge to her life? So basically, we would love to understand where do you get the ideas, the food for thoughts in how you are building your ideas, your concepts, like everything, what you are creating, what are your inputs, what are your resources?
1: I learned from others. Every single concept that I have, it's not something that was my unique idea. I maybe had actually one really unique idea and maybe in my entire career. And it was way back when, and it was fairly successful, but it was only once. I observe, I learn, and I pattern match. Use people around you, surround yourself with incredibly smart people that you can look up to, that you can learn from. And by the way, people that I learn from, they're not just the ones that are either peers or higher than me. There are people that are in the entry-level positions in their jobs, Because everybody has a very unique position, every unique view. And I heavily focus myself being on the observer and then compilation of those knowledges into frameworks to share, as opposed to being per se a creator. So when you say I'm an influencer, I would say I'm actually, I'm evangelizing everybody else's ideas by putting them concisely together and using my channel communication as opposed to coming up with anything uniquely by myself. But be a doer, surround yourself by people that you can learn from, incredibly smart individuals, and look for patterns around you to make the sense of this world and of your career.
0: Fantastic. So based on my LinkedIn feed, you have a wonderful chemistry with John Cutler from Amplitude <laughs> as well. Isn't that so? So maybe we could end this by maybe announcing what are you planning next? Like how can people learn more about you and your work and your awesomeness in this?
1: Well, I'm very excited about what we're working on at Amplitude and how we're going to be evolving their growth model um, in upcoming months. So although I cannot uh, say exactly what's going to be happening, but I'm super I'm super stoked about uh, what I'm doing there and I'm extending my contract with them because it's just such an incredible company to work with and I'm really enjoying my time. But overall, I'm going to continue uh, down my path of understanding what does product-led sales mean, what does the growth models for B2B? be mean and how to actually create product led businesses um, that are employee focused in any industry and in any capacity possible. I love what I do. I feel incredibly fortunate that I found such an interesting niche for myself and I'm continuously drilling into it. Fantastic. So
0: follow Elena you know, on LinkedIn, definitely follow up with Amplitude Content. Uh, like our friends, a lot of our friends, like uh John Cutler, is with the company. They have an incredible knowledge base. I definitely recommend that resource for your personal learning as well. But for everything else, thank you so much for listening to us right now to listening to this episode and I can't wait to continue the conversation with the links that we posted under this episode Elena you have been a legend a rock star and my forever role model for conducting this interview thank you so very much
1: thank you for having me I really appreciate it have a wonderful rest of the day thank you ciao
0: Thank you for listening to the product-led podcast. If you found this episode helpful, please share it with a colleague or friends you know who might benefit. We are always looking at which episodes get the most listens so we know which content to create more of. So if you want more of this particular type of content or style of episode, please share it out. And in return, here's your selfish reason to do this. Uh, We will definitely create more content just like this episode. And if that's not your style, please leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts and tell us your favorite part about this podcast. I personally read every single one of these reviews, and it gives me more ideas on what content we should do more of. Happy growing.